Tēnā koea, no mai, haere mai, my name is Will Appleby and welcome to Animal Matters. Today on the show, I'm chatting with Kari Schmidt, who is a solicitor and co-author of the New Zealand Animal Law Association's latest report called Farmed Animal Welfare Law in New Zealand. The report was commissioned by the NZALA with support from the New Zealand Law Foundation and Lush. Some background to the report. In 2019, SAFE and the NZALA filed judicial review proceedings against the government for their failure to act on the ongoing use of fouring crates. In a judgment released last year, the High Court ruled that the Minister of Agriculture and the National Animal Welfare Advisory Committee acted illegally when they failed to phase out the use of fouring crates for mother pigs. The traditional use of fouring crates will now be phased out. While preparing for the case, the NZALA found many inconsistencies between the Animal Welfare Act and subordinate legislation, like the Code of Welfare for Pigs, which allowed the use of firing crates. That prompted them to commission this report. There's a lot to unpack, so without further delay, here's my corridor with Kari Schmidt, solicitor and co-author of the Farmed Animal Welfare Law in New Zealand report. Well, thank you very much for, for joining me today. Um, obviously, you're one of the we're one of the key authors in this uh, new report uh, commissioned by the New Zealand Animal Law Association. Perhaps if you could just start out by maybe going over some of those other parties that were involved and the other authors as well. Sure. So uh, my co-authors are Professor Andrew Knight. So he's a specialist in veterinary science who works out of the UK. Uh, Marcelo Rodriguez Ferreira, who's a senior lecturer at the University of Otago. Uh, Danielle Duffield, who is a solicitor in London and who also co-founded the National Animal Law Association. And so all of my co-founders have um, extensive expertise in the area of animal welfare law. It's been a sustained interest for all of us. Uh, in terms of the other participants, we also uh, interviewed a number of industry representatives, MPI and uh, a representative of SAFE. The Animal Law Association, they commissioned this report um, while preparing the 2020 Judicial Review um, upon realisation that the farrowing crates were inconsistent um, or that there was some inconsistency in the Code of Welfare um, and it wasn't the only gap between the Animal Welfare Act and the Codes of Welfare. Could you explain this inconsistency and why it prompted this report? Sure. So uh, basically the Act requires, I think this is at Section 10, that persons and owners in charge of animals need to meet their physical health and behavioural needs. Um, However, and that's a great standard, that's really aspirational, and when the Act came into force that was one of the things that people said, oh wow, we're really kind of world-leading in this area. Uh, But subsequently regulations and codes of welfare that were promulgated under the Act didn't quite meet that standard, and so farrowing crates and sow stalls for pigs was probably the most obvious example of that. Um, so in 2015, Parliament um, did produce an amendment act, which basically said that any standards that don't meet um, that requirement of the act uh, should be turned into regulations which are ultimately phased out. And so farrowing crates and sow stalls for pigs was an example that Parliament referred to of one of the standards that should be Um, ultimately removed Uh, and obviously that just never happened so we had to engage in these judicial review proceedings Um, but this is an issue we've identified for a long time so since I was in the committee for the New Zealand Animal Law Association in 2016 and well before that 
um, we could see that there was this discrepancy between the aspirational standard that the Act sets out and what the delegated legislation under the Act actually provides for in practice. So while, while undertaking the report, you were assisted by representatives from industry bodies, MPI and, and other interest groups as well, which, which you've um, already alluded to. How forthcoming were these representatives, especially the industry bodies? Were they hesitant to participate? Uh, so on the whole, the industry representatives were actually really helpful, which um, was a bit surprising to me. We didn't quite expect that they yeah, would be so as, as engaging as they were. So we had uh, meeting interviews with representatives from Federated Farmers, Dairy NZ, NZ Salmon Farmers Association, the NZ Poultry Association, Egg Producers Federation, um, and Naitahu Farming. And so all of those individuals spoke with me quite openly, and um, I was invited to site visits on a number of occasions, and I answered a lot of my follow-up questions, which was great. Uh, the exception to that was really NZ Pork and MPI, surprisingly, So, um, and that's they have both kind of suggested or explicitly said that the reason for that is the NZLA's um, concurrent judicial review proceedings. So we were taking MPI to task for that, and also obviously that had a big effect on the NZ Pork um, Association. So um, NZ Pork just flat out said we can't talk to you while that's going on, and MPI did um, answer some of our questions, but I would say that their engagement was quite um, reticent and they tended to just provide us with information that was already publicly available. We really got more through our Official Information Act request to MPI than we did through direct engagement, which is a bit unfortunate. Um, but in saying that, representatives from MPI and NAWAC did attend our, um, the launch of the report in Parliament and took hard copies of the report. And we actually um, have already met with the National Animal Welfare Advisory Association, sorry, committee, um, to discuss the upcoming changes to farrowing crates and sow stalls in light of the judicial, the results of the judicial review proceedings. Uh, and we're also going to be meeting with them in a couple of weeks to discuss their processes, which is uh, really awesome. So we're looking forward to that. The report looked at the codes of welfare for, for dairy cattle, pig farming, meat chickens, layer hens, um, and, and farm fish, which, which has no code. There's a lot to unpack, but broadly speaking, what are some of the most alarming deficiencies that you found? So uh, we really engaged in a super detailed analysis of all of the codes of, codes of welfare and regulations for these animals. So um, if you go to the report, you'll see that it is really detailed. But I'd say the ones that come to mind first and foremost have to do with the provision of adequate space and environmental enrichment. So... Um, which both basically mean that animals are, it's really difficult for these animals to express their behavioural needs in many circumstances. And so again, farrowing crates and sow stalls are a great example of that, with pigs unable to even turn around for weeks at a time. Um, but we make a similar argument in relation to um, colony cages for layer hens, which I think still only provides each bird with just about more than, a little bit more than an A4 square piece of paper. Um, so it was very intensive. Um, for dairy cattle, the codes of welfare have recently introduced off the use of off paddock facilities. And so the idea with that is that there needs to be some guidance around how these facilities are used because they were already being used in the first instance. Um, but those, again, provide for much more limited space for dairy cattle than what we've traditionally experienced in our traditional pastoral farming system. 
and there's not currently a requirement in the Code of Welfare that those animals have access to the outdoors, which is, again, really contrary to that image we have of New Zealand dairy farming. Um, and the other side with meat chickens, we argue that there's quite high stocking density for those birds, um, and again, a lack of environmental enrichment in all cases. Uh, when it comes to fish, there is, as you say, no code of welfare for fish, farmed fish at present, and we recommended that one be produced to provide guidance to farmers throughout the country. There's also, I would say, a really glaring omission in the Act and that there's a loophole that prevents, that means that uh, fishing operations that catch fish in the wild don't have to abide by the Act's general welfare provisions. So that's a really, yeah, that's really, really bad. And we think that should be addressed. And then also the Code of Welfare for Slaughter should be addressed so that fish caught in the wild are rendered insensible prior to being slaughtered, which is also not a requirement. So that's, for wild fish, there are some really glaring omissions. So those are just a few examples of the main things that kind of stand out. Um, but like I said, our intention with this was to do something really in-depth and detailed. Um, and it would take all day for me to go into every single recommendation we made but yeah those are the kind of um high flyers i guess yeah yeah i've um i have to admit i'm not completely through the whole report yet it's a big one. <laughs> it is big it's massive it, it, it has to be noted i think like it's a really um comprehensive you know piece of work that that you've you've all put together you recommended you've made a bunch of recommendations and one of them is um, a review of all the codes of welfares but there's also a lot of recommendations that pertain to, I guess, animal welfare systems, I suppose, for lack of a better word. Could you maybe go through, you know, the, the reasoning for some of those recommendations that you've made in your report? Sure. So I think um, it might be helpful for me to just start with clarifying what that system looks like. So basically you have um, the Ministry for Primary Industries, and then within that sits the National Animal Welfare Advisory Committee. And so that's a sort of semi-quasi-independent organisation, and that organisation is responsible for developing the codes of welfare and regulations for animals in New Zealand. So there's two kind of grounds on which we've made changes in relation to the system. So those changes include an inquiry into how the system's currently operating, uh, the establishment of an independent commission of animal welfare, uh, basically, we're concerned that there's a bit of a conflict there with what the Ministry for Primary Industry's main goal is, which is to promote New Zealand's agricultural economy, and the sort of subsidiary goal of promoting animal welfare, which can be said to be in competition with that first sort of primary goal. So that's definitely a concern, uh, and which has informed our suggestions. But another concern, a real concern that we have is that that National Animal Welfare Advisory Committee is really underfunded. So there aren't any full-time staff working on that committee. Um, it's basically people who mostly already have full-time jobs and get paid very little for their participation on the committee. And all of those people are really experienced. And um, from everything I've read about the committee, they really care about animal welfare and they want to do their job well. But I think there's only so much you can do when you actually don't have the resources to hand. So um, another recommendation we make is some more dedicated resource to that function, which basically desperately needs it. And means that in the end, um, non-profit organisations end up doing this kind of research when potentially that would be something that was better suited to the organisation itself that's responsible for animal welfare in our country. Mm. Um, 
Another recommendation that you made is a, a commissioner for animal welfare um, and, and independent oversight. Could you perhaps explain a little bit about what that might look like in your reasoning for making that recommendation? Uh, well, again, it's just to provide some independence within the whole situation because at the moment there is that conflict. So we're hoping that that person could um, look at a whole variety of animal welfare matters and, yeah, again, just have some independence and a voice that a multiplicity of parties could come to um, and a bit more transparency around its processes as well. So I think potentially setting up something new rather than working off the old system could also be really helpful. What's the mood of the response that you've had so far, particularly from from the from NAWAC and, and MPI? Have they made any comments regarding your findings and recommendations? So they have any comments about our findings or recommendations explicitly yet. Um, like I said before, representatives from both NAWAC and MPI did attend our launch and we're meeting with NAWAC, or we already have and we will be meeting with them again in a couple of weeks. Uh, we haven't seen, received any direct communications from MPI, um, but that engagement, engagement from NAWAC is encouraging and we really hope that that can continue because one of the other recommendations we make is continued engagement both with academia and with animal welfare advocacy organisations because basically as we see it, I think um, NAWAC and MPI have really um, engaged extensively with industry in the past and that's, you know, as it should be because they are a major stakeholder in all of this. Um, But we feel that that engagement has been a little bit unbalanced and so just to get a bit of a more balanced picture um, involving academics and animal welfare advocacy organisations, genuinely involving them we think is really important. So we hope that this report and the engagement we've had with them thus far will lead to continued uh, conversations and collaboration um, and that's definitely been our intention all along. We've kind of got, gone into this trying to be fair and balanced and understand that all of us have to work together to improve the system and to meet that standard in the act of meeting the physical health and behavioural needs of animals. So hopefully we'll continue to see um, engagement from them moving forward. Um, yeah, I remember you mentioned before as well there's uh, industry groups that did engage in this process as well where um, we're quite forthcoming. Um what do you think they're perhaps, um, I don't want to say, um, you know, they had a, a, a an agenda or anything like that, but um, I guess what do you think their motivation was, was in, engaging with this process and, and um, what do you think they've been able to take away from, from this process as well? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's fair to say that they have an agenda. I mean, we all have an agenda and a bias and things that we're trying to achieve, so I don't think it's a bad thing to say that. But I think they're also aware that these are conversations that, you know, the public increasingly expects to take place and see action on, and it's not helpful to just try and avoid them and obfuscate. Um, And obviously, you know, we're all always going to try and put our best spin on things and how we see the situation. Um, And it is a bit of a wicked problem because there's a lot of different interests and viewpoints at stake but I think actually being able to meet up and have that conversation and understand each other's worlds is really important Um, you know I mean a really good example of that is I went to um, Michael Brooks of the Poultry Industry Association invited me to a site visit for uh, meat chickens and so we went and saw them at about day 10 of their development um, which is quite early on, so it's not you're kind of maybe not getting the full picture of what they would look like when they were at their largest weight. 
Um, but it was really interesting to see that and to meet the farmers and see how that whole system worked. And, you know, it was fascinating in a way because you can see that that system is quite intelligently designed. You know, you've got food and water and everything's controlled by a, you know, really well-organized electronic system that's controlling temperature and ventilation, etc. And so it all looks very impressive, um, which is great. But then, you know, you think about these things from another angle and you remember that I think it was last year or the year before 200,000 meat chickens died from a fire in one of these systems because, you know, not all the appropriate controls are in place or there's human error or something happens and they're not perfect, you know. So... Um, and that's, yeah, again, another critique that we make in the report. So um, I think just providing some balance for what people's viewpoints might be about how they're currently operating can only be a good thing. And, I mean, that's another point that we make in the report is, and this is something that MPI has said many times as well, there's always going to be a need for greater and better animal welfare. You know, so this is something that's going to... We want to keep working on and keep making better. It's never going to stop or it's never going to be perfect. Um, and I think that that's something that those industry representatives understand and also that at the end of the day, those animals are their livelihood and so they have an interest in, to a certain extent, their welfare. Um, but, I mean, again, that only goes to a certain point at which actually improved welfare comes at a cost of production. So there's always going to be that tension there. But I think, again, acknowledging that and being honest with each other and trying to work together is the most productive thing that we can do at the same time as not being afraid to be really critical when we need to be. And so that's kind of the balance we've tried to strike here. Well, on that note, I think that's a great point um, to, to end on. So, look, thank you so much for taking your time out of your busy schedule to chat with us and uh, congratulations on the report. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, like I said, it's a, a phenomenal piece of work and uh, it raises some... Um, really good points and some great questions and some recommendations going forward and um, um, I hope you have success with it. Thanks Will, thank you very much and I also just want to say thanks to SAFE as well we interviewed Hans Creek as part of this report and he was really great to work with um, and you guys have always been awesome so thanks for all that you do as well Thank you for listening to Animal Matters This podcast is brought to you by Safe for Animals, New Zealand's leading animal rights organisation and produced by myself, Will Appleby. The Farmed Animal Welfare Law in New Zealand report is available for free as a PDF at nzala.org if you want to go read it yourself. Make sure you subscribe to Say Across Animal Matters on whatever your favourite podcast platform is. If you're listening on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners to find the show. Until next time, mate wa.